0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 136 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Jamie Barton and Mark Baker to react to Liverpool's move for Alexis McAllister.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media podcast network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So the news has emerged on Tuesday that Liverpool have been given permission to carry out a medical uh, with Alexis McAllister. That's after they, they triggered a clause in Alexis McAllister's Brighton contract, which allows him to leave for a fee in the region of £45 million. Pounds. And once that medical goes through and, fingers crossed, it is obviously all OK, then McAllister should become a full player because personal terms on a five-year contract have already been agreed. So you might be listening before the transfer has been officially announced by Liverpool, you might be listening afterwards. Either way, barring any hitches, McAllister will be Liverpool's first signing of the summer. So we're going to give our reaction first of all from the Liverpool standpoint and then later in the podcast uh, we're going to hear from a Brighton fan to get some sort of expert insight on the player. So first off, Mark and Jamie um, are the new members of our team so we'll be hearing from them um, a fair bit more often over the sort of coming weeks and months. So uh, we'll start with you, uh, Jamie just your sort of initial reaction to the signing and and do you think it's sort of constitutes a bit a bit of a statement deal for liverpool really to get this one done
1: yeah i do actually i think i think it really does i think you know obviously disappointing the season last time out and um i, was, I personally was kind of worried about uh, no champions league and how that might affect kind of our our ability to sign players going forward but Absolutely. McAllister, 100% Champions League standard player, coming from a team who are already in the Europa League, same as us. So, he still sees that as a step up. So, absolutely, I think that's a really kind of really good way to kick off what I hope will be a successful window.
0: And um, coming to you now, Mark, obviously, the, the Premier League transfer window doesn't actually open officially until the 14th of June. So, Liverpool have obviously it's not been announced yet but it looks like we'll get this done sort of a week in advance of that I mean that's a really early start it's really sort of encouraging to see the club I suppose be, be so efficient as well with this deal
2: Yeah I think it's it, it's always important if you can to get players in and obviously integrated into your squad I think the big thing for me about Alexis McAllister in particular I'm a big Leo Messi fan so I ended up watching a lot of the, the World Cup games and obviously I'd seen bits of Alexis previously but I couldn't believe how good he was. I couldn't believe how good he was in that tournament. I thought he was, apart from Messi, up there with the outstanding player, actually. Um, a real mix of sort of technical ability, uh, ability to to be really effective without the ball as well as a balanced player in a team that had to work for Messi. And I, I was just really impressed. So when the links originally started with the player, and obviously happened to then watch them pre uh, after the World Cup, I was really optimistic and thinking can Liverpool get the deal done and the fact that they have brought him in I just think is massively important because ultimately you're bringing in a quality player in a position that Liverpool have really lacked in this season and I think if I look at Liverpool's squad I think one of the big problems for Liverpool this season is they've had players who sort of fit in between sort of two different roles within that midfield you've got sort of a group of what you would you'd say a higher midfield players number 10s if you like in Curtis Jones Harvey Elliott, Fabio Carvalho, who's had more limited chances, and then you've got players who, are sort of, in the the Fabinho, Jordan Henderson mould, who are better behind the ball. So to have a real all rounder who, who can adapt to different positions within that midfield and be a really important option and improve the quality in that area, I think is paramount, really. Especially when you consider that Liverpool have sort of sorts have been. We don't really know what system Liverpool are going to play this season. Whether they're going to carry on with the the sort of box that they play towards the end of the season or whether they're going to flip back to a 4-3-3 this player is obviously adept at playing in both of those systems whether it be in a deeper position or a higher position which some of the other players within that midfield are not able to do so really so i think it's a really important sign and tactically but also technically because of what he can bring to the team going forward as well
0: yeah definitely and we'll um we'll drill a bit further into where he sort of fits into the Liverpool starting 11 a little bit later on in the podcast, I mean, I think one thing that stood out to me when I, I was reading about um, the deal kind of progressing was that McAllister apparently had offers from several other clubs and, and no surprise really when you see the the price tag um, that's been floated for him. I mean, a lot of sort of elite level clubs would look at that as a bit of a steal for him, you'd have to say. Um, so, the fact that he's sort of chosen Liverpool, I mean, Jamie mentioned there about sort of worrying about the lack of Champions League. I mean, the fact that he's still chosen Liverpool in spite of that is a really good sign in terms of the club's pulling power this summer. And, uh, you know, the line was that Klopp was sort of influential in the decision. The, the, the talks he'd had with him um, were really what kind of encouraged him, I suppose, to uh, to choose Liverpool. And that, I suppose, makes it a bit of a vintage Liverpool transfer. You know, it's, it's the lines we normally hear. And I think the, the efficiency of the deal and and the extent of the bargain certainly um, fit in with that as well. And um, we'll come back to you now, Jamie. I mean, we've heard sort of Mark's uh, view there from the, the World Cup side of things and uh, and what he what he's kind of made of uh, of McAllister there. But what are your sort of impressions of the player? I mean, how impressed have you been? I mean, however much or how, how, however little I suppose you saw of him last season, what what's kind of stood out to you?
1: I think this feels, to me, the whole deal and even him as a player just feels very kind of sensible. I think sensible is the kind of word that I'm going for. It's not, I, I, I really like him, don't get me wrong. It's not the kind of transfer where I'm checking my phone every five minutes in if he's signed. It, he's not kind of, to me, someone who, uh, I don't know, who's going to be getting 20 goals a season or anything like that. But it just feels like what we lacked last season was sensible. It felt like at times you had people's heads kind of falling off all the time. People couldn't kind of complete five-yard passes. People clearly wilting under pressure. And, and the, the impression that I get from McAllister is that he, he really does all of the basics so, so well. Reminds me a, a lot of Genie alderman in a lot of ways. Hey. Very good keeping hold of the ball. Numbers are very good in terms of uh, passing, completion under pressure, all of that sort of thing. And so sensible is the word that I really keep coming back to with, with that. And and you mentioned the price. that's That feels almost the most sensible thing of all, really.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why Liverpool have sort of really pounced on on this player. Because obviously we know the constraints the club are operating under. Probably even more um, intense than usual in a way. Uh, with the uh, obviously lack of Champions League football. I mean, I... I mean, I'll be honest, I, I didn't sort of watch a huge amount of, of McAllister last season, but obviously with what's been going on in the past few days, I've, I've watched a lot of footage of him and, you know, a few things that kind of stood out. I mean, the sort of the 1v1 ability it is, is a big one, I think. Just in terms of like, he's got this mix of sort of technical skill where he can beat a man, but you look at him and you don't think he's sort of that impressive athletically, but then you watch the footage and you know, he's holding players off. He's very good at that. and. Um, he draws, you know, he draws fouls because people just can't get the ball off him a lot of the time because he his close control is so good because he uses his body well. And um the acceleration he has too. I mean, I was watching a clip with Adam Alana saying, you know, McAllister's not the quickest player, but I actually don't think that's true. I think he, he really can sort of sort of be players with the best of pace. I mean, there's there's one moment at Anfield earlier in the season, and about he runs through about three or four Liverpool players before getting brought down, I think. And I think that was sort of a, a telltale sign in that regard. I think he's a um, a player who can pass the ball really well to, you know, sort of, to, the idea of having him and Trent in the same midfield in terms of that kind of passing range is, is really exciting, I suppose, long-term as well, given that McAllister's only 24. And, you know, there's also, on top of that, I suppose, the uh, the defensive contribution that he offers. And, you know, we obviously know how crucial that's going to be. We spoke last season about how the midfield was getting bypassed in that regard, but I think McAllister, obviously someone who's played as a, a number six before. Um, that's naturally going to be a strength of his. And and one thing that stood out to me in terms of footage was his anticipation was really good. You see a lot of challenges where he's almost coming from what you think would be the wrong side, but he just has that kind of timing and anticipation, like I say, to um to do so. And I just I'm really excited. I mean, a bit different to you, I suppose, Jamie, in the sense that you know, I totally take your point about it, it is a very sensible deal, but I can't help but, you know, I, I and I was looking back on that World Cup final performance earlier too. I can't help but look at that and think, you know, this is a player who could become one of the best sort of all round midfielders um in the league and uh, probably in Europe too, especially with, with Klopp as his manager. Um, although obviously he's worked on a couple of managers who are able to kind of get all that out of him already, I suppose. Um so yeah, I'm I am quite excited that maybe his skill set isn't the most sort of spectacular if it is all round, but he's definitely a player with um, a sort of a, a huge ceiling, And I think, um, Mark, let's talk about sort of his role. Um, we'll, come, we'll come back and talk about the, the feel a bit more in a second, but like I said, there can play as a number six, probably predominantly a number eight, but also glimpses as a number ten. If Liverpool are um you know going to retain that that system that you mentioned earlier with, with the box in midfield where do you see him fitting in and do you think clock will move him around or do you think he'll have a bit of a, a settled home in there? Yeah so I think it'll be really
2: interesting. I think the position that automatically stands out is sort of the higher uh, position within the box on the left hand side whether you want to call that an eight whether you want to call it a higher ten, two tens, two eights, whichever you want to describe it as and I think that's a, a position he's took up very often. But as you say, he's also adopted uh, a number 10 position or also a deeper midfield position as part of a two. I think if Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be playing in that deeper role as part of a two, I would see probably Alexis playing in one of them higher two positions, if I'm honest, and a more um, if you like, a solidified number, a deeper player with, next to Alexander-Arnold, who, who probably first preferences the defensive side of the game. I think in terms of just having the skill set I thought it was a really good example that was brought up by about Jeannie Wijnaldum because you can really shape him into different roles where you know I remember when Alden first came into the club and he was a, a, a sort of a, a late running third man runner number 10 coming into the penalty area and then obviously as his Liverpool player uh, career progressed he dropped into a deeper position was able to accept the the ball and in all circumstances with pressure from multiple sides had that great sort of orientation around his body in which he could turn out of pressure and I think that's very similar in Alexis and another player who had mentioned in that sort of mould is Ilkay Gundogan who's also played that deeper position and higher position and I think he's very much like that and so you could sort of fit him into the different sort of roles within that. I think you mentioned as well sort of interestingly I mean we talk about sort of with the ball and if you look at his numbers I, f- I felt a great point again in terms of receiving the ball under pressure again with pressure from multiple sides but if you look at his numbers as well in terms of through balls in terms of actually acceptance of the ball and being able to retain it in terms of his pass completion flipping between them two areas especially the higher one where there's more limited time and space I think it just paints the picture of a really all-round excellent technical player but if we look at without the ball as well I mean, his numbers in terms of pressures in the final third are really high as well. Mm. Now, you could say that's a consequence of how, how sort of Brighton sets up a massively organised team. But still, to be able to read the game and the intelligence to cut off passing lanes, stop stop the, the build-up at source, he's obviously a really important player in the intelligence side of things. And many play, people have, have sort of talked about Liverpool this season and talked about how they've been too able to, too easy to play through. They haven't got the legs in midfield. I mean, as you quite rightly point out there, you wouldn't call Alexis a fantastic athlete, but this is where the sort of organisation of the team has to be better than the management side of things because I felt that Liverpool really struggled with their organisation out of, out of possession last season. It shows that, like Brighton, he can an organised set-up with players who don't necessarily have to be the best movers. If the units of the team are compact, the distances are correct, then ultimately... With an intelligent player like Alexis, you can get the best out of him in terms of winning the ball back, and then obviously being in a position where you can transition to sort of counter attack. So, I think all of them points are really, really key in the way he could play and the different positions he could line up in. Really,
0: yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Brighton are sort of a ideal club to buy from in the sense of, you know, the almost the complexity of the systems they play, not only under Zaba, but also Potter. I think it really is sort of um, the ideal sort of a feeder club, whatever you want to call it, for kind of the, the elite sides in that respect. And I think generally, to be fair, there's sort of a pivot in the Premier League towards, you know, especially with kind of high-flying mid-table clubs towards sort of a, a style of football that is kind of progressive, that that, that does sort of rely heavily on pressing. And, and that's obviously sort of music to your ears if if you live a pool in terms of being able to buy from that market. And, I mean, just to touch on a couple of the points from there, I mean, first of all, I agree that you know, in terms of whether he can play as a six, I, I think if it was alongside Fabinho, then yes. I mean we've seen Thiago play that role. I think McAllister could could slot in there. That doesn't, you know, necessarily look likely in terms of Trent is probably gonna retain that that spot as part of the kind of double pivot in midfield, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I don't think the balance is right if you have Trent alongside um McAllister there. Just doesn't just doesn't feel right. Um, I think he would sort of be in that advanced um, number eight role, and I think a lot of Liverpool fans it will sort of be, you know, really pleased to hear about these comparisons to Wynalda, because how often have we heard it said, especially in the last uh, in the last season and maybe even a little bit the season before, about how much Liverpool have missed Wynalda and his attributes in that midfield, and I suppose you can look at the football and attributes, but also kind of the. Uh, the durability as well is going to be really important. Hopefully McAllister can kind of uh, excel on that front too. And while I definitely sort of see the the, the comparison to Alder and the similarities, I think there's sort of shades of, of Thiago there as well. Just in kind of his passing ability, his awareness of his surroundings, that technical skill, ability to beat a man, close control, all that sort of thing, I think... I do see him as almost a hybrid of those two players, which I think is is perfect for Liverpool, really. But um, staying on that, Jamie, if it is going to be that sort of left left sided number eight role, I mean, what do you think this transfer means for, for Thiago, for Curtis Jones, the players who would probably fit into the Liverpool team there? I mean, do we think that if even if Thiago's fit, McAllister will be first choice, or what, how do you think the dynamics going to work with that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting question. I think I think one thing that maybe made Klopp hesitate in terms of moving to the the kind of three box three formation that we ended the season on uh, last season was really the role of Thiago. Because I'm not entirely sure whether he fits in anywhere in each of those four positions. Certainly if, if Trent is playing uh, into, in midfield as, as as he was doing, I don't see Tiaro personally, except maybe against kind of the bottom six at home as the deeper one next to him, uh, kind of regardless of of the of whether of, of, of McAllister joining. And I certainly don't see him as either of the two more advanced eight roles. So I think it's a really tricky one for Tiago really. I think even before this McAllister uh, signing, I think his role in the squad is maybe a bit up in the air. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. As for Curtis Jones, I um, yeah, it's tricky. I agree with Mark. I think I don't see McAllister maybe on the right side of the of the, of the, of the uh, more advanced dates. I do see him in that Curtis Jones role, especially with with uh, how we were playing towards the end of the last season. Jones clearly being told to get into the box to try and get goals. He obviously got that one against Spurs and a couple in another game um, against uh, Leeds, was it? Um, and so, yes, McAllister five of his goals last season were penalties, I think. Um, But he still had more from open play than any of our midfielders in the league. I think he got five. Uh, I think the next, I think ours was was Jones on three. So I think him getting into the box in that kind of left-sided attacking eight role, it will be interesting to see who starts the season. I mean, obviously, Curtis Jones will probably be going to the under 21 Euros, which I think finishes on July 8th. So... Maybe it's kind of up in the air whether he was even kind of ready to start the first game of the season anyway. I think, especially now, I would expect Alexis to to start that first game in that role. Uh, as for who takes over going forward, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Yeah, definitely. And um,
0: just to kind of um, move it on from that a little bit, I suppose, I mean, we've really sort of not seen a Liverpool midfielder put up kind of big attacking numbers for a sustained period in a long time. You I mean, you might even sort of have to go back to the days of Steven Gerrard and, you know, some midfielders have arrived to have maybe put those numbers up before, but then sort of a little bit more withdrawn um, within the Liverpool system. I mean, Mark, is McAllister a player who could kind of get sort of, sort of pushed towards 10 goals, pushed towards 10 assists in the Liverpool system? Or again, do you think, um, his role will be a little bit more kind of maybe earlier in the attacking phase. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think, he, like I mentioned before, I think
2: he's a, he's a player who can sort of be moulded into different roles, really. Whatever you sort of ask of him, he can adapt to and, and obviously fulfil the role to the best of his ability. I think, I mean, I'm a massive fan of of Curtis Jones. Obviously, you've just touched on him then, always have been. I think his numbers suggest he is a real up-and-coming player in terms of, his, his ability to progress the ball, his, his ability to be able to retain it in the tightest, tightest spaces. But one thing that he probably hasn't got in his game at this moment in time is the ability to affect it, uh, affect the outcome of games through either uh, creating chances or being obviously the one on the end of the chances. Now I know that he, he did improve that towards the end of the season with a run of games, but I think high on Liverpool's sort of agenda would have been. Midfield players who can potentially contribute some goals and contribute moments in the final phase, and obviously with Alexis McAllister, he's shown in them higher areas that he is capable of doing. So obviously very good at set plays as well, mm-hmm. a penalty taker from dead ball situations. But I think just going back to it, I think when you look at Alexis McAllister and and, and sort of his role in the two potential systems. You can see him fitting into either one. So if you wanted him to be a balance playing in a 4 three, 3 and have a more disciplined role like he did in the World Cup facilitating Messi, you could see that. But then again, if you wanted him to play in the higher position where he's accepting the ball in higher areas, you could very much see that as well. And that's what I feel Liverpool have missed a bit. You know, We've been playing Henderson in a, in a higher area within the new system now. Unfortunately, Jordan Henderson, at this stage in his career, has to play behind the ball. He's never been elite at receiving the ball with limited time and space. But now... It's glaringly obvious that that reaction time at this stage in his career is just not there. That ability to pick a pass, that ability to influence the final third. And similarly, like you talk about Thiago, I absolutely love, fantastic player. But I think the thinking behind Thiago will almost be he isn't going to play enough games for him to be the focal point of the team anymore. And I do agree that that 4-3-3 system is more suited to Thiago as the balanced player, the, the, the player in the, in the first phase of the build-up. You couldn't see Thiago playing higher. He's never played that role in his, his career. And again, by bringing in Alexis, you can see him contribute not only to the first phase build-up, but also to the final phase. And I think that is the great thing about him. You can mould him and he can probably carry out multiple roles and improve the team within them sections. So in answer to your question, yeah, I do believe he can contribute. And he's at the stage in his career where he can contribute more than maybe Curtis Jones could in terms of deciding the outcome of games for, for how great Jones is in between the boxes. He'll probably be a good rotational policy in there, either right or left, because Jones, throughout his Liverpool career, has actually played on that right-hand side. Now, more as a balanced player within the 4 free free, but he has shown his adaptability to be able to fit into that role as well. So, yeah, in answer to your question. Sorry I went round the houses
0: there. <laughs> no, um, I think they, they were all good points, and uh, it's difficult, obviously, to sort of fit the whole puzzle together at this stage you know like like we've said that is very early in the summer still um we anticipate plus of at least one more midfield signing, and um and then we'll kind of see how i suppose um things click but I, I do think the players that i look at with this transfer in terms of who is it going to directly impact the most would be sort of tiago and jones and tiago is probably the more interesting one out of those because i don't think anyone for, for you know jones Really good the last few weeks of the season, but I don't think anyone sort of thought that he was going to be sort of a first 11 player for Liverpool post transfer window. Maybe people thought that about Thiago, but does that kind of change those conceptions? And um, I suppose we'll reserve judgment um, until Liverpool's dealings are complete and until um, the season gets underway. Obviously, there's, regardless of what happens, there is going to be a lot of rotation. Um, so, yeah, just to kind of touch on the fee a little bit more before we go, I mean, 45 million for a player who's you know I mean he's a World Cup winner he's he's not only I mean I remember people using the the World Cup winner tag for um, Mustafi at Arsenal obviously Germany in 2014 so there's some players where it's just like you know I think Pepe Reina won it when he was at Liverpool third goalkeeper barely played McAllister someone who I think started um, every game after the first game was brilliant in the final um, got obviously the assist uh, for Di Maria's goal in that game as well so you know He's a crucial crucial figure. I think it's something like only three players have ever played for Liverpool that have actually started in a World Cup final. Um, So, yeah, um, he's definitely someone with huge pedigree and I think he was nominated for Premier League Young Player of the Season this year too. So, with all that in mind, the fact that he's only sort of 24, I mean, Jamie, it feels to me like an early contender for kind of bargain of the window, really, because, I mean, he's got to be a player who'd be going for sort of... 60, 70 million, um, if Brighton had sort of had full control of his price tag.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I didn't want to mention the the B word, but inevitably anyone we sign, especially in midfield, is going to be compared to Bellingham for now. Uh, and, and that's just how it is, really. Um, And so I was initially kind of sceptical about this whole McAllister thing, thinking, well, we've passed up on Bellingham, or maybe he passed up on us, but you never know. But Supposedly, we passed up on Bellingham, and then he seems to be going to Real Madrid for what hundred million or something like that. I was initially kind of fearful going for McAllister that we'd passed up on Bellingham, and then we'd end up getting McAllister for something like seventy million. And, and to me, Bellingham I think is the best player. But that's neither here nor there. It's more that if you pass up on on Bellingham, then you you need to kind of be getting three in for that price. And that's what this price means, really. The £45 way, way, way lower than I think any of us expected. Obviously, there's the release clause in there. Um, But as you say, for for a World Cup winner uh, and someone who played so well in the final to be coming in for that, it allows the flexibility to to fill those other positions. So I agree with Mark. I think Henderson, in an advanced role, certainly on the right, is not really going to cut it next season. I think we need someone there... I think ideally we need we need a six as well with Fabinho's legs going the way they seem to be going, and so yeah, absolutely that forty-five million. You don't want to go too soon and end up on Twitter a, a year later saying bargain of the season or anything like that. But to me, it sounds like a like a really really good price. Yeah,
0: yeah I think um, if this signing doesn't end up being a, a success, I think something sort of as something really. Bizarre has gone wrong almost because it looks like every every single sign points to it being a um, transfer that it will sort of be kind of an eight out of ten or above. I think there's some deals that I have done recently where there has been a little bit more kind of um, there's been more reservations. I mean, whether it was the price tag with Nunez or the fact that Gakpo, you know, it looked like we were just kind of stockpiling left wingers for a second there. But I think this one I look at and you know there's not that I kind of see, um, and I will talk to the Brighton fan. Um, Later in the podcast, about whether McAllister does have any weaknesses, but right now there's not, and that kind of jumps out to me and and I see as kind of an alarm bell. So, yeah, I think it's um, the ideal start to have a pool's transfer end, though, but crucially as well, it it can only be just the start, I suppose. So, I'm joined now by Charlie Hafenden, a Premier League journalist and a podcaster for Let's Talk BHAFC. Charlie, I want to talk first of all about the World Cup. I've been doing a lot of research on McAllister um, for work and a lot of the, the you know recurring theme is sort of the, the pride that Brighton had I mean I think it might have been it might have been the game against Liverpool where Mcallister sort of um was applauded onto the pitcher and given a um with, with his medal and kind of welcomed back almost from the tournament and um, I'm not sure but certainly obviously you know a, a huge moment uh, for the club um seeing McAllister win it so what was that like because obviously Brighton you know their eyes has been relatively recent thing it's fair to say so what was it like to see a player from from the club win the world cup but, but not only just be part of the squad be a kind of a key figure within that achievement
3: Oh, it's absolutely huge for the club. Uh, Even if he's not been there for that many years, he's not scored. He's scored a decent amount this season, not scored that many in the grand scheme of things or made that many appearances really compared to some players in our recent history. But I think he has to go down as a bit of a, a club legend because he's won the World Cup. I mean, for a club of Brighton size, you just you can't really argue with that. He's the first ever Brighton player to reach a World Cup quarterfinal, semi-final, final and then winner. So to go that far was amazing, uh, and I think to us watching the World Cup final, I was more excited to see McAllister lift the trophy than I was England progressing, which felt really strange. But I just really wanted him to do it because he's such a great character, and I just thought he really deserved it. Um, but the, the day you mentioned at the Amex. We got him a fake replica, but a pretty good replica, to be fair, on the pitch side. And he had his medals and he was showing it around to everybody, had a little mini trophy lift. And also when he returned to the dressing room, when he got back from his celebrations in Argentina, um, they had uh, all the confetti in the dressing room with a f- fake trophy again, which was fantastic. So th- that just shows how much pride there was in him winning it. And even now when he's going to Liverpool to say that we've had a World Cup winner is amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I totally take your point because, you know, what, watching the final, I was sort of almost, I was conflicted because I wanted, obviously, you know, it would it was great to see Messi win the tournament, but also, you know, Kanate was on the other side. So there, it was a little bit kind of conflicted there and we were all just, we were all, you know, why hasn't he started the game? Um, so we did have that kind of investment in it too. Obviously, McAllister, much more sort of prominent with it. And, you know, I reckon... You know, from everything you sort of read, that there is a real—you know—you mentioned he's not been there that long, but there is a real affection there between sort of player and club. So it, it, and there were sort of tears. Weren't there, towards the end of the season when uh, McAllister was, you know, it was basically a poorly kept secret that he was going to leave. So it will be obviously tough for him to leave. But I want to talk about the the transfer fee. It's not really been confirmed yet. It might not even be disclosed. But we're hearing that it's it's going to be in excess of forty five million. Is the phrase really? Um. How do you feel about that? I mean, it seems like Brighton have essentially negotiated a clause or, or maybe been pushed to agree a clause where McAllister can leave for that amount, um, which, again, maybe their hands were tied on that. But how do you feel about the fear and what figure, if there was no clause, if it was ordinary circumstances, would you kind of have wanted before letting someone like McAllister go?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a shame there is a clause, to be honest, because we talked about Caicedo in, in January when Arsenal and Chelsea were trying to sign him about 80 million, 75, 80 million rejected flat out. I think it would have been a similar case for McAllister, especially with lots of interest around Europe and elsewhere in the Premier League. Uh, I think his heart is set on Liverpool and that's why it's kind of moved that way quite quickly. But it would have probably been around 80 million, if I'm honest with you. Uh, as I said, a World Cup winner not just got the medal, but played most of the minutes for Argentina this season for Brighton, an array of roles as well. We'll speak more of that in a bit. But I, yeah, for that reason and his versatility and his energy and his passion and his consistency as well how much he offers I think he's got to be worth around that but obviously the clause does exist I'm not exactly sure what the figure is myself Uh, but when he signed the new deal must have been back in the autumn or around the world cup time uh, that I knew that there was a clause added into there it was just what the clause was and the net is quite confusing one and the athletic has been saying one thing and the likes of Fabrizio Romano another uh, I think Athletic now claiming it's about 55 million, whereas other journalists saying about 45. So it's probably in that in that ballpark. And regardless, it's a huge bargain for Liverpool and very sad for me, not just as a Brighton kind of journalist, but as a fan to see him go for such a low figure in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, and um, I guess from the Brighton standpoint, it looks like um, James Milner obviously coming in uh, having left Liverpool the uh, hood as well i mean i'm not sure if they'll necessarily be starting players maybe more kind of depth players and um, so there will still be money there to obviously uh, recruit with brighton's sort of exceptional uh, talent spotters and then maybe in terms of the big kind of um cash generator will be kaiseido because like you say there i mean huge offers in january already and um probably just going to go upwards and um, this summer you would have thought but um you touched on it there in terms of uh, McAllister's versatility So, I mean, it's probably fair to say, and obviously, you know, stop me if you disagree with this, that he is kind of primarily a number eight, but he's sort of sold as someone as well who can function as a number six and a number 10 as well. But a lot of the time when I hear about players being called versatile and being able to play different roles, I have a degree of skepticism because there's a difference between playing different roles and excelling in different roles basically. So, how comfortable actually, you know is McAllister in those positions? Is he someone who can, you know Liverpool play this sort of double pivot? Could you see him in that role for Liverpool, if Liverpool moved to a say four two three one? Could he be in that role behind the striker, or is he kind of very much at home
3: sort of as a number eight? I think he's probably better a little bit further back. Which is a bit ironic because defensively his maybe his weakness. He's not quite as good at tracking back and making those challenges. He definitely does it, but he's I think it's probably because he's alongside Kai Sado that he doesn't look as good at it. But the fact yeah. he's got Kai Sado there alongside him allowed him to to kind of progress up the field and excel into that role as a number six or an eight. I think as a six is like a deep line playmaker, he really did well. I'd say maybe as a tens his worst position, which might be a bit yeah. controversial, but I prefer him alongside Kai Sado to get a little bit further forward, be the playmaker, and having sort of like an Undav or a Bonanote or an Enciso behind, whether it be Ferguson or Welbeck, mm. just seemed to fit a bit better. But it's not to say he can't play as a number 10. He's done very well in that position as well. It's just my preference was probably the, the, the six or an eight. Um, eight, probably the very best of the lot. Yeah, he can excel in all those positions. He can. It's just probably more so a little bit further back.
0: So, If we're talking about his kind of um, profile, if he is playing as a number six, you sort of said deep line playmaker there. So if he was to play that role, you think it would have at Liverpool, it probably have to be alongside Fabinho, do you think just in terms of having that ball winner next to him?
3: Yeah, I was speaking to Red Bend TV about this yesterday or day before, how is not quite the same profile as Caicedo. Mm. He's nowhere near as mobile, and that does concern me. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to hinder McAllister too much, let's be honest, but he does thrive when he's got an energetic midfielder next to him, like a Caicedo. He's kind of the perfect example. One of the best in the world at the moment, the Premier League at doing his job, allowed McAllister to shine through. it just take the pressure off him for having to defend too much. He could think more about looking up and picking the right pass, and he's very good at that he might be a little bit patient sometimes he might be a bit like mcAllister what you doing mate <laughs> pick up the speed a little bit but he needs to pick up that right pass it's not like he's dilly-dallying too much but he's definitely patient in possession uh, as well as just he can pick out really quick passes when he needs to mm. he's under pressure i think he's one of the best actually in the in the premier league at when he's being pressured yeah. at keeping possession so he's fine in those positions but in terms of those killer passes it sometimes takes a bit more of a look up uh, so yeah If that answers your question.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a lot sort of like Thiago, really, when I'm hearing you say it, just in the sense of he is someone who maybe will um, sort of slow the game down at times, but not necessarily in a negative way, more in a kind of controlling way. And maybe as well in terms of his profile as kind of, you know, you wouldn't necessarily play Thiago as a lone number six, you would have to have maybe that more sort of ball winner presence alongside him. And yeah, it's interesting what you mentioned as well in terms of Fabinho isn't necessarily doing the same things as Caicedo. So we'll have to obviously um sort of cater to the balance. But it does look like Liverpool have basically earmarked that left side of number eight role for him. It looks that as that's probably the most likely outcome at this point. So I wanted to to touch on the weaknesses, but I guess we've already kind of covered it with the kind of defensive side of things. So let's uh, I'd by just covering uh, McAllister as an individual, really. Um, you mentioned there uh, sort of how fondly he was welcomed back, how much he was sort of cheered on uh, by everyone at Brighton. Liverpool have um placed a lot of um, emphasis in their recruitment on uh, recruiting the right characters. There's a sort of um expletive that um, James Milner used to describe the uh, the policy that the club has when it comes to not signing certain players, maybe have e- egos that are that are too big. But what insight can you give us into McAllister, the
3: individual? Then? He's definitely not an ego player. He's more of a quite relaxed, humble guy. I mean, I don't know him personally, but that's the kind of the impression he gives mm. off. He's always been very popular in the dressing room. Whenever Brighton's media have done any, they do quite fun quiz videos with the kit man and various bits and bobs like that. Very down to earth, he seems, in that sense. He's not himself he's not overconfident he just seems to be he knows he's obviously he's, he's got the confidence on the field but it's not in an arrogant way uh, he's also quite calm as well he doesn't really get too riled up too easily He definitely showed the odd bit of passion here and there but he's yeah. not Neil Mope or <laughs> someone of that type he's a bit more relaxed he's yeah i think that's kind of the main points really the relaxed humble composed yeah very ambitious as well he was respectful to Brighton in the way that he wanted to leave Obviously, saw him crying at the game away at Aston Villa that wasn't because they lost the game they'd already achieved European football it was just merely because he fell in love with the fan base and he's very respectful of the city as well and he's always had time for the fans I've spotted him so many times signing um, whether it be the programs or scarves and getting pictures he was always making that time he's one of those so you're getting a fantastic individual as well as a brilliant player. Oh, I'm really going to miss him at Brighton, I must say.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure he'll be one of those players. You know, you see it sometimes. A player leaves, comes back, come back to his old club, a few booze. But I, with McAllister, it feels like it is going to be a, a very good reception that he gets, especially being part of a historic achievement for Brighton this season in terms of qualifying uh, for the Europa League. But yeah, we'll leave it there. Um, Charlie's Twitter is in the episode description if you want to follow him on there. In terms of the podcast. Um, If you're listening on Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you're listening on Apple, a five-star review as well. It would uh, make a big difference to us. Um, And remember, we also upload the clips to YouTube as well. So subscribe to the channel on there. And you can email us at redsunrestrictedpodcast at gmail.com too. But yeah, thanks again, Charlie. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next time.